from Pastor Steve. We have a great, great opportunity tonight to hear from a man that I greatly respect. Uh, I've gotten to know over the past year, I would say, Jocelyn and I, um, Jocelyn being our children's coordinator, we have gleaned much from this gentleman. He has a heart for not only his church at New Life Church in Pismo Beach, um, but he has a heart for all the churches in the area. And I know that firsthand because I've been in meetings with him, gatherings where we've gotten together, mostly um, based, based upon his desire for us to do so. We've gotten together over, um, well, I've been in that meeting for a few times now, but just to hear his heart for just children and families. And it's very evident. You don't have to spend any time at all. I'm sure you're going to find out for yourselves here in a little bit when he comes up um, that his heart is for the body of Christ, knowing that the body of Christ is made up of families. So a little bit about him, Pastor Steve and his wife, Alice. How long have you been married now? 35 years of marriage. This is his wife, Alice, right here. Very wonderful. Uh, he's been in ministry for, I believe, over 28 years. Uh, he is the family and children's ministry pastor there at New Life, as I said. He has four sons. Are they all married? Oh, that's terrific. Okay, I'll let her do that then. Um, he, he has a degree from Christian Heritage College, master's in Christian education from Talbot Theological Seminary. And he's here to bless us. But it looks like first, he'll come up with his wife, Alice. Let's give him a hand, huh? Thank you, Pastor Steve. This on? Good, it is. Thank you so much, James. God Thank bless you. 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 Boy, James hit it right on the head. Am I excited and feel so privileged of being here tonight? I've been praying for this time. I did not realize you guys look so weird with your hair up, you know. And, uh, but uh, how, what a way to start, huh? Telling you you look weird. So today, tonight was crazy hair day, I guess, and all that. So I really do appreciate Calvary from the standpoint of the priorities uh, that they're putting on families here. And I pray that you guys are really making an investment, investing the next hour of our, of our time to look at what God's Word has to say about parenting. And before I get into my little message, I did, I'm even fearful calling in a message because I didn't want it to come across as such, and I'm so fearful that it's going to. And... Uh, I hope that you can glean some principles. That's all I, I ask that God will, will do with you, that you'll be able to leave here and just as another person on the journey of life where we're trying to uh, have it li or living our lives abundantly in total fullness with Christ, that maybe there's something that you as a couple or if you're here as a single and you have children, maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit can use in your life to quicken and say, you know, this is something that I need to work on with my family. Before I get into that, I'd like to introduce my wife, Alice. Come on up here. James, do you have that handheld? Okay. <laughs> so she doesn't have to speak into my mouth. I'll, uh... It's funny, I was doing a wedding yesterday, and, um, uh, and they had a microphone clipped onto my notes so that people could hear the vowels. I thought that was sort of cool. Okay, Alice, why don't, I wanted her to share uh, a, a little bit about our family because we're really proud of our family, and uh, we really praise God that uh, 35 years ago, uh, she's my high school sweetheart, and we got married when we were both 22, so you can do the math <laughs> if, you, if you want to. But, we're not uh, much older. No. <laughs> right. Why don't you share with us about our family? Well, we have four sons, all grown. Three are married, and the youngest is about to be married in a month. 
Um, our oldest is Jeremy, married to Julie. He's 32, and they have three kids. Of course, you know, our grandkids that we have to brag about. There's Haley, who's five, Tyler, who's three, and Maddie, who's one. And Jeremy is, uh, they live in Chicago, and Jeremy is a student ministries pastor at Wheaton Bible Church. Okay, our second son, Ben, he's married to Aaron, and he is 30 years old. He's a vice president of uh, Empire Construction Company, and the company's located in Knoxville, Tennessee, but they live in St. Petersburg, Florida, part of the company's down there too. And um, they just told us two weeks ago that they're expecting their first baby. So, yay, grandparents for the fourth time. And what's really cool about that uh-huh. is just two, about three weeks ago, they were out visiting us, and uh, they had been married for how many years? Five? five years. They've been married for five years. They're at a stage where they should be starting to have children, and we asked them as parents, I go, uh, are you guys thinking about having kids? Well, they've been trying to have children for the last uh, four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they made an appointment to go to the doctor to find out what's going on. And while they're at our house, we, we gathered around them and we prayed that God would bless them with a child. Two weeks later, he said, we canceled the appointment. She's pregnant. So she was, right? And she was two weeks pregnant. <laughs> so then our third, cho- our third son, Joshua, he is uh, 28, married to Erica, and he's a worship pastor. At, um, in Austin, Texas, at Hill Country Bible Church, UT. It's the University of Tennessee campus. And um, so that's what he does there. No kids yet. And then our youngest, Tim, he's 24, getting married in September. And he is in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he's a youth pastor. Did I get it all? I think you got it all. <laughs> I think that's it. Great. Thank you. Oh, I have a bunch of papers with a small pulpit up here, so I'm going to try to uh, try to do some juggling in a way. We are proud of our kids. All of our children are walking with the Lord, and uh, uh, we just really praise God about that. I came across a survey uh, a few months ago, and it's really interesting because this survey was was asking 21,000 couples that are married and they have children. They are asking them about their marriage and parenting um, uh, experiences. There was 165 questions on this survey that they took. And the, and the researchers compiled them, uh, their answers into five distinct categories that out of the 21,000, five things just popped up in the survey. Would you be interested in knowing what they were? Okay, what I want to do is I'm going to go through this, and if you guys can identify, now this is not to put anyone on the spot, but if you can identify with, with their responses, I want you to clap, all right? And if we don't get any claps in here, I'll put you in groups and find out what your responses are, all right? So the very first response was, these are the five, uh, the five top parenting concerns. Number one, Having children, but these are not in order. They are just, these are all the, uh, you know, just the five things that they discovered. Having children has reduced our marital satisfaction. Second one is the father is not involved enough with our children. I even have a dad talk. (laughs) 
you're honest, okay? Uh, I am dissatisfied with how child-rearing is shared. And then uh, number four, we disagree on discipline. And number five, my partner focuses more on the children than on our marriage. I thought these were really, really uh, interesting responses from this survey. And I think many of us can identify with, with what the couples were talking about. As we talk about our marriage, we talk about our parenting, two s- special roles of our lives. You know, I, I, re- um, I read this the other day also, and tonight I want you to know that I feel a little like this. I read this, and it said this. Most parents feel a little like the story I heard about a young student of child behavior who frequently delivered a lecture called Ten Commandments for Parents. He married and became a father. The title of the lecture was altered to the Ten Hints for Parents. Another child arrived. The lecture became Some Suggestions for Parents. And the third child was born, and the story goes on that the lecturer quit lecturing. And I feel like that a little bit tonight, that, uh, that I don't want to stand here saying that I, I have it together when it comes to parenting. You know, we've been a parent for almost 33 years. I think that we've had a journey of life, that we've had some successes, and we certainly had our share of failures in this. And if I've learned anything about parenting, the one thing I have learned is that there's more than one way to parent. But we want to lead our lives under the authority of God's scripture. And I believe that there are some basic principles in God's scripture that can apply to all of us. I learned that lesson about more in one way is when I was, a, when I was in college and we were fellowshipping with young couples and we were having our little babies, on Friday nights we'd get together and we would uh, have dinner together and then play games. Everybody, anybody ever done that with other couples? Well, what would happen is, is that uh, Alice and I could put our kids to, to bed and they would obey us, but we'd be in a home that had a, had a family that their children just wouldn't obey them. You know, they would go to bed and then get up, go to bed, go. And it really made the night unenjoyable. We'd go home and we would lambat. I would. I would go home and I would talk about that couple. Why can't they control their kid? What are they doing? Don't they know anything about parenting and all this? And I was, quote, the expert because my kid was just perfect in all this. This is when I was young. Now, years have gone by, and I've been able to see the godly character that these children turned out to be in that family I'm talking about. And God really smacked me and said, you know, Steve, there's more than one way to really raise a child, as long as we're putting our authority under God's word. And my way wasn't the only way. So I don't want to stand in front of you as an expert at all. You know, I just want to share some things that I've learned from God's word and, and, and learned as a parent. And if you can, and if you can um, get a hold of some of these, um, God bless you. And I hope you can, can use this. You know, tonight I want to share with you my top five list of being a parent that is trying to raise children to follow Christ all their days. I've uh, called all four of my boys. I just got the last response. My son, who's a who works for the construction company. He was up in Alaska doing a vacation. I just, he just got home today. I just gave him a call, and he was the last kid that sent this in. I asked all four of my boys the one, uh, one question. I said, sons, you could do me a favor. I'm speaking tonight at Calvary and Slow. You could do me a favor if you could, if you could respond to this question, and that is, what in your life would you contribute um, that you're a Christ follower you're trying to really live for God in your life. 
living in our home and being brought up in our home, can, is there one or two things that you can look back on and say that that really made a difference in our lives? And I asked them to write down their response, you know, two or three responses, and put a little paragraph there. And as I'm speaking, I'm going to share some of it. I've asked them if I could share that. And I'm going to share some of their responses because I think it's really important that we go to the source, you know. And so when I, when I look at our culture, I mean, when I, the very first thing as I go into the Cindy Orner, like Dave uh, Letterman does, he has a list of ten, but I only wanted to do five because of the time. But when I think of my fifth thing that I came up with, I think it's so important. And that is, define what you're trying to produce. What does success look like? So as you guys are sitting here, some of you have, are just having children. You might be pregnant with your first. You might have three or four and you're in the midst of it. The question I want to ask you is, if I could come out and have a cup of coffee with you, what, what are you trying to produce if I asked you that? What's the final product? What are you looking for? What, what is success to you as a parent? What does that mean? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But when I think about our culture, I think about uh, our culture is sharing some things. I just came up with around four things that I think our culture is squeezing us into thinking. I think maybe in our culture, to be a successful parent, we might hear or get impressed that it means activities. It means that as a parent, I'm going to expose my child to so many activities that by, by just activity's sake, I mean getting them in sports, making sure they have music, making sure they have dance lessons, making sure they go to church, making sure we go on great vacations. My goal for success as a parent is to expose my children to as many activities as possible. I think that's a part of our culture. I think that's why so many of us might be running a little ragged, you know, to be honest with you, that we're tired. And the culture is saying, your child can't be complete, or you're not a very good parent if you don't do. And I think that's part of our culture. Another thing I think is education. I think a lot of parents feel the pressure. I mean, think of an insurance. I hope no one's an insurance salesman, but think. You get called when you have a child. Insurance. And the very first thing they say is, do you have a college fund? You know, are you saving? Are you going to give your child the best education possible? Are you going to send them to the best schools that will cost $100,000? And by the time your child gets 18 or 19 or 20, you know it's going to cost $200,000? You've got to start saving now. And here you're a young couple that you're saying, I don't hardly have any money to put together right now. And you're asking me to start another account for that. I think, uh, I think that the, the culture is squeezing us to some degree. I'll be a successful parent. If I can get my, my kid through a very prestigious school, get them educated. And I can tell you, I have four boys. I got them all through college and seminary and all this. And I don't think that's what God's word tells us of what success really is. Another thing is, is popularity. If my kid could just have all the right friends, I think that's another thing that, that we're looking at. Looking for just the right friends for our, friend, uh, for our kids. Popularity is a big deal. Another thing is, is marriage. As we start talking about raising our children, we think about, okay, now if I'm going to be a successful parent, I think the culture might say, well, that means that my child's going to marry someone who's successful. And what that means is three kids and a dog in a house. You know, that's sort of what we're looking at in our culture. And I think that, I think the American dream is squeezing us into a mold. 
to say this is what success looks like. And you know how it does it? It does it because we don't stop and we don't think. You know, I, I can't believe that very many of us would buy into what I just shared. None of these are, are negative or really bad in themselves. But I think our culture, through our commercials, through our, through our uh, people we, we, we go to the gym with and people we work with and all this, we hear things. This is what success is as a parent. I think in Romans 12, 1 and 2, now, I don't think many of you brought your Bibles to this type of thing, did you? You did. Okay, turn to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, I'm going to read it to you. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think it has an answer for us. I really do. And I think the answer is to have God's perspective on life. And his perspective is an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. Here's what Romans 12 is all about, in my opinion. God God comes, the whole book of Romans is a thesis. It's a statement. It's a doctrinal statement. The Apostle Paul comes to the church of Rome and he's writing this letter to them and he's saying, now first off, you've been justified, you've been justified, declared righteous before God because you are sinful, because of what Christ has done on the cross. And when you ask Christ to come into your life, the Bible says in Romans uh, 7 and 8 that you've been sanctified. That God has set you apart to be holy, to walk with him. And then later on in the chapter, in, verse, in chapter 10 and 11, he talks about you're going to be glorified. What that means is you're going to have a place in heaven. You're going to go to heaven. And Paul is using this word in Romans 12, 1. He says, therefore. He gets through and he preaches all the way through. He starts with being justified, sanctified, glorified. Then he says, therefore. He goes, based upon my previous arguments... Based upon what I just said, he said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so when I look at this, the next verse goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. See, when it says do not be conformed, what that word actually means in the Greek is do not let the world pattern or push you into its mold of thinking. Let me read what the, what the message says. It says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develop well-formed maturity. God wants your best. He doesn't want just what's good, but he wants our best. And so when we're talking about our culture... I think our culture is trying to squeeze us to think a certain way. And I think God is saying, don't be conformed. Don't allow yourself to buy in to what what, what it is to be a success as a parent in the world standard. Let's find out what God's word has to say what success is. It means that we're transformed. He's looking for something that's transformed. In, In 2 Corinthians, it says this. I love this verse. 
It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unfailed faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, there's our word, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God defines success as a parent as to have our children discover the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ in our home. I think that's one of the ways God would define success, that I've given you your children. They weren't a biological function, just like with my son. I told you he just, he, they just had a baby, and I believe God was in the midst of, of planning that little child for that family, for my son's family. It's not just a biological function. And God gave us those children for one specific purpose. And that is so that they can discover God in our homes. Our homes is the, is the place, the primary place where God wants our children to discover him. Do you realize that uh, the church has approximately 40 hours in a life of a child in one year's time? In one year's time, if, if a person were to come in a traditional way, on Sundays, and just maybe a few Sundays to be sick and some Sundays to go on vacation, on an average, a person that comes to church or a kid that comes to church, we have them for about 40 hours in one year. That's all we have them. In the home, he lives in the home, he lives with you, you have them for over 3,000 hours. Now think of that. I hope you don't send your kids to church so that they can learn about God. Isn't that weird to hear? I hope they're learning about God in their life experience living in your home. And we at church are here to partner with you and support you and reinforce what's happening in your home because that is God's incubator of why he's giving you your children. From God's word, we find that the primary goal of child rearing is that our children will come to know God and by knowing him will produce godly character so that God will be glorified. This perspective transforms the task of child rearing. Our goal is no longer to merely resolve family conflicts and to, and to find a little peace. Now we're participating in God's great plan for the ages. We are shaping lives for eternity. We are helping to form each child's character so that he and she will reflect God's glory. I want, you to, I want to read uh, one, of the, one of my son's responses, and uh, this is from Joshua. And I, I have four of these that are all from email, so if you give me a little break as I'm trying to... Here it is. Okay. All right. It says, it's Paul, uh, Joshua said, one of the things he said is, um, what are the two things that help me follow Christ? And he had one, and then this is the second one. He said, you and mom setting the pace. By the example you set, I had someone to look up to. Just by you living the life Christ has called us to live, you set an example for all of us how to pray, how to treat one another with Christ's love, how to love the church, etc. In other words, what he was saying is, you taught me about life. You taught me how Christ was supposed to come in and invade my life through your family. I think that's what Josh is saying to us. And that's, that's what God is saying. What is the success? 
It's where we're really changing. The, we're, we're in the business, the home, a Christian home, a home that is a Christ-following home, is a home that's trying to look at character, look at values, look at the person, and trying to experience God in their midst. Another aspect, uh, number four, I said, work together as a couple or work together as a single. The reason why I put that in there, work together as a single, because I'm very aware that in a lot of our churches, single mothers are raising their kids a lot by themselves. And so when I talk to the couple, you could sit here and say, well, I feel sort of shortchanged, you know, because what, what do I do, you know? Well, I want you to know that this whole principle of working together as a couple is under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to admit, if you're a single mom here, that it, it's harder. It's harder on you. you. You bear more responsibility. No question about it. But we have the Holy Spirit that will help and give us wisdom and give us strength. And if there's anything I've learned in the 30-some-odd years of parenting, that is one of the things I have to share with you. I hope that as you're a parent, that as you're walking through life and you're experiencing the experiences of your family, that you'll be open to God's leading in your life. That the Holy Spirit is there to whisper in our ears, to nudge us in certain ways. And his, the Holy Spirit's primary, he has an investment in, your, in the life of your children. He's given them to you. He's in, and he has an investment that these kids start following Christ. And if you try as a man of God or as a woman of God as saying, God, help me be sensitive. I can't tell you how many times uh, raising my kids. I mean, it's uncountable how many times I've disciplined. Where I've disciplined so raw and so harsh and so mean that I would put them in their room. And uh, basically I said, boy, that made me feel good. And I go into the room and all of a sudden that Holy Spirit would come upon me and said, you crushed him. You destroyed his spirit. You need to go in and confess to him, and I would do that. And that was a partnering. Or he partnered with my wife. He's partnered with, with my wife by saying, honey, you know, I think, I think as we look at the response of that discipline in the life of our child, that the, it's not producing what we want. It's, it's pretty, it's, they're, they're becoming discouraged. They're becoming resentful. And I'd look at that, and the Holy Spirit would say, you need to change. You need a different form. Of discipline. And that's how we partner. Well, what do I mean by working together as a couple or working together as a single in line with the Holy Spirit? Yesterday, this, I officiated at a wedding. And at this wedding, I told the couple, and I took this from the ceremony, this is, quote, you two are becoming one flesh, but you remain two unique individuals. Adam and Eve became one flesh. Then the couple that I married was... Christina and Alan, as of today, you no longer walk life's highway alone. There will be no more tables set for one. The unmet thirst for relationship is finally quenched. You are one. Your goals must be the same. Your God must be the same. Your mission must be the same. You are one. And in the same light, when I say that we need to work together as a couple, that's what I'm talking about. That we need to have our God be the same. We men, we need to lead our families in, in worshiping our God. 
together. We need to be the leads, not just follow our wives. But we need to lead in that situation. We need to be loving. We are one. We have, to, we have to have a mission. And that's when I asked you the question at the beginning, what does success look like as a parent? That's the mission. What's her mission? What are we trying to accomplish? And we have to be one on that. And so, um, you know, the Bible tells us in Mark 3.25, it says, if a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And so if you're finding yourself in a relationship, husband and wife, and you're divided, you're divided on aspects of discipline, you're divided on aspects of priorities, you're divided, you know, the husband says, listen, I'm going to provide for the home, you take care of the kids, and all that, that tends to divide the family. And what will happen is, is you're going to find yourself 20 years down the road, and you're going to have a really nice home, and you're going to have a lot of things, but your family's going to be totally in disarray. And so I believe that, that God wants to bring unity in your lives. And so as, as, as couples, you know, if you find yourself struggling in these areas, I'd encourage you to go out on a date night. I'd encourage you to enter into a discussion of saying, you know, how can we become? We can't do everything, but is there one area that we can have convergence on and be together on, on a mission? Is there one thing that we can work on in this next six months as a family? as a couple, as we're looking at our children. We need to prepare our kids for life. You know, God intended the family to be a learning center for life. You can learn things in your family that you can't learn elsewhere. I can remember in my family when, when, we, when the kids were young, when Alice would serve these beans, we'd be at the end of the table and my kids would take these beans and flick them and I'd have a fill, fill gold. And man, we learned how to do that. We learn a lot of, in our families. You know, we learn how to walk. We learn how to talk. We learn how to eat. We learn how to use the TV remote. All basic skills of life are learned in the family. You know, God says we are to prepare our kids for life. And what I'd like you to do is, there should be Psalm 78, 3 to 4 up on the screen. Would you read that with me? Is it there? Oh, good. Thank you, guys. Let's read it together. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. The first way we prepare our kids for life is we must teach the greatness of God. We need to tell the kids, our kids, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. You know, growing up in my family, there's been times, and I call them milestones. Now, this doesn't happen to, you, to all of you, and if it doesn't happen in a miraculous way, it doesn't mean God loves me more and you less or whatever, but I believe God is a God of miracles. I believe he's entering and invading our world, and if we have eyes to see him, we can notice miraculous, praiseworthy deeds of God. Do you believe that? Let me share with you some of the stories that Alice and I have shared with our families from the very, very beginning. Alice and I were, um, I was graduating from college. I had my first, uh, I had a two-year-old, and I, she was pregnant and going to have give birth a week before we went off to seminary. I was a junior high youth pastor down at Scott Memorial Baptist Church, Tim LaHaye's church down in San Diego. I was getting on my motorcycle one day, and the custodian, his name was Don, came up to me, and he said, Steve, you're looking downcast. And I said, yeah, Don, I, I just don't know what to say. You know, I, I, 
I, I'm graduating from college, and now I'm going to seminary, and I went up there and I, this last weekend, and my wife's pregnant, and, and I, I look for a house uh, or an apartment. I look for an apartment, and all I could do is, uh, all I could uh, afford is, is a certain amount. And by the way, put in the side of the story, the, uh, the amount was $250 a month. That's all I could afford, but I didn't tell Don that. I did not say that to Don. Just that I couldn't afford living. I couldn't even find a one-bedroom apartment that I could afford. And all this. And I don't know what to do. I'm perplexed. I'm talking to the custodian. The custodian says, well, Steve, you may not know this, but I happen to own five houses about five miles from Talbot. If you would be willing to just collect the rent once a month, I have a three-bedroom house with laundry facility and backyard, fenced-in backyard. I'll let you have it for $250 a month. <laughs> Milestone. <laughs> right there. Uh, my kids have heard that. Praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Another, another milestone in our life is Alice and I, I thought when I graduated from school, I was, I was a children's pastor at Scott Memorial, and I always wanted to go to a Christian camping. I always wanted to be a, a director at a Christian camp. I thought that would be a utopian job, you know. I wasn't asking what God's will and design was for my life, but I, this is what I thought would be really cool. So I found myself, I got a call one day, and it said, Steve, would you like to come up to our camp and be our program director? I go, whoa, yes, I would love to do that. So I, I went up to Palomar Christian Conference Center, brought my, my family of three now. I had three children, brought them up to this camp. It's there for 10 months, and all of a sudden, I'm working with this guy who's very a hot, he's a real hot-tempered person. He was a godly man, but he's just hot-tempered. Everything was a major thing, and I felt like I made a, a wrong choice and a wrong decision. I felt I was totally, totally out of God's will. And you've never been so stuck in your life than to be 30 miles away from society up on a mountain that you get one day off and you hardly have enough money to be able to go down the mountain because because it's a Christian conference center. They don't pay a whole lot. And we're stuck. And I'm that man. You know, what do I do? Praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. So Alice and I do the spiritual thing where we decided, let's go to Disneyland. Get off our mountain, go to the best place on earth, and so we're going. We're driving down the mountain. This is a true story. And uh, she goes, Steve, wouldn't it be neat if that pastor in seminary called you? And I go, Pastor, who? Remember the church we used to go to? You know that in, in that school? Yeah. What was his name? Doctor Donald Hoff. No, that wasn't it. It was Donald Schaff. And then I start laughing. I go, Honey, it's been four years. Four years, and we can't even remember the guy's name. Like he's going to call me to come and work at his church. And I just put it off. We go to Disneyland, coming back up to the camp. I'm getting sick. I go, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? I go into my office, and this was many, many, many years ago when you used to have these messages on pink paper. And I walk in on my desk, and the only thing on my desk was this pink phone call on a paper. It said, Dr. Donald Schaff called, would like to talk to you. And he called me and said, Steve, I'd like you to ask you if you'd consider coming to our church. The Lord laid you upon my heart. The praiseworthy deeds. God is an active God. And so my boys have heard, heard these stories. We need to also tell our children about his power to remind them that God is above the problems that we're facing. Here's the question I have for you. What problems 
are you facing? Did you even come to church tonight talking to one another and saying, what are we going to do? Some of you might be right in that place. What is the power of God in your life? Does God have the power? Is he a miracle-working God? And I would, I would venture to say, yes, he is. And the wonders he has done. We need to tell, teach our children our, uh, that God is a God of miracles. Do I really believe that? Do I believe he's a God of miracles? Are you living this out in the hard situations of life? You know, I, I work at New Life, and I've been privileged to work under Pastor Ron. And Pastor Ron is the senior pastor at New Life, and he's been struggling with cancer for the last six years, I believe, five or six years. And I'll be honest with you, I have never seen someone be so successful at having a disease like he had where the doctors wrote him off and said that, uh, you know, there's no way. We don't see people come back from where, how bad you are in cancer. And he's been struggling for six years in front of the people at his church. And I can say by rubbing shoulders and arms with him on a day-to-day basis, I've never seen a man of God handle situations that are so hard in such a godly manner. And the thing that makes him successful, he's no super giant. He would be the first one to say that. He's just a man of God that believes in miracles. That God can work in our lives in spite of our difficulties. That God, nothing passes through God's hand that he's not in control of. So the question is, what is your Goliath in your life? What are you facing that you may need to look at God as a God who, who is a God of power and a God of wonders? You know, in preparing our kids for life, not only are we to teach them uh, God's greatness, but we must teach our children God's word. Let's read Psalm 78, uh, 5 and 6 together. Is that on the screen? Maybe it's not up there. It says this. He, decla- uh, he, he decreed statues for Jacob and established the law of Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. You know, in a maze of moral confusion, God's word is able to guide us. Notice the multiple generation aspect of this verse. He talks about forefathers. The forefathers are to teach their children. And and the children yet to be born. And their children. There's four generations that he's talking about that we need to be passing along these principles of God's word and teaching our children. And that's one of the things that are heavy on my uh, my wife's heart and my my heart alone. Is because we're now grandparents. new, New role in our lives. And uh, I have a great desire to want to teach and pass, about, uh, pass along a spiritual, spiritual heritage to our grandchildren. I think that's what this verse is talking about. In Deuteronomy 4.9 it says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and their children after them. And here, here's something I want to read from Jeremy. This was really cool that he wrote this, I thought. He said, um, I, there are several points here, and I wanted to see which one I wanted to. I think it's this one. I hope it makes sense. 
I think it is. I think Jeremy wrote this. He said, having expectations that we're learning and studying on our own. I remember sitting around the dinner table and both mom and dad expectantly would ask what we were learning in our quiet times. We'd be expected to share and the thought of passing over us was not an option. Looking back, my parents set a spiritual bar for us boys that was, unattain- that was attainable, but certainly was uncomfortable. As parents, if we do not push our kids towards spiritual success, who will? Our kids need to have real expectations that can be reached. However, these expectations must stretch them further than they know they can be stretched. I remember my dad always saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. This statement certainly is true of our kids' spiritual wellness and relationship with Christ. What are we aiming for? That's what he said. I thought that was excellent, an excellent point that he did. And then I wanted to also share with you what Ben said. Because this is his last thing that he said. Um, he just emailed me this today. It said, he said, you, um, he goes, two things that come to my mind, you and mom have done to help encourage me to be a Christ follower. You've modeled the importance of spending time in God's work daily. I think the vacation we had where we started memorizing Proverbs chapter 3. You, mom, have always modeled for us as kids through your own walk with the Lord, what it means to follow after Christ. I also think uh, of the one-year Bible that mom used to read as I have the same Bible sitting on my desk right now that I have been reading. I also think how you have modeled for us kids spending time in God's Word, word daily. And so, so the point is obvious there, I think, is that... Uh, that we need, to, we need to be able to um, model these things. We need to teach God's word to our children. The next point is point three I come up with is being the real you, authenticity. And it's funny because as I was putting this sermon together and this little talk, I was talking to all my boys and I didn't, I didn't prime them for anything. And I just, I just said, respond to me. And you know, it's so interesting that almost every one of them responded back about the authenticity, how important it is that we live at church like we live at home, and we live at home like we live at church, not being du- duplicitous, not having two ways. It says, the heart of the matter in Deuteronomy 6.4, let me read that to you. Is that up on the screen? Yeah, let's, let me read that to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. If you've been in the church any length of time and you've heard about parenting, this is one of the key marks of Scripture. The reason why it's so key is because it's called the Shema. The Shema was a passage just like John 3.16 with your kids. If I were to go back to your children and say, who knows John 3.16? Probably the majority of them would raise their hand. I've learned that in Sunday school. I've learned that at church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They would say it just like that. It's something that they just were taught from a young age. The same thing with a Jewish kid back in, uh, back in the day when it was written. When they would hear those words, Hear, O Israel. When they would hear that, they would know exactly 
that verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And by the way, that was why a lot of them had a problem with having Jesus be called God. Because every Jewish boy and girl was taught that verse from very young and say, wait, God is one. You and your father are two. God is one. And they, and, and they had to show how that Jesus was God. And then they'd say, you, and then it goes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And do you see the next word? The next word in verse 5, it says, you. This is not talking about the government. This is not talking about the preschool. It's not talking about the elementary schools, private schools, some club, not even the church. It's talking to you as parents. It's talking to me as a parent. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. This was the, one of the greatest commandments that he talked to. Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment? This is what he's quoting right here. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is life. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus was te- teaching in the New Testament. Right here in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, he says, you shall love the Lord your God. So what does that mean for you and I as parents? That means that we have to have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to, we have, to have a love factor for Jesus. We have to fall in love with him. We have to give him all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds. We need to meet with him on a daily basis, personally, personally. Because really, we cannot give something that we do not have. Is that not true? If we have our relationship and God is centrality in our life and he's he's the head of our home, then our children will catch this. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently. This is not an option. This is a command. It's not if you have time for it, you must do these things. Or it's okay to uh, to do them or not. It says you must. You must. It's not an option. So we need to teach them to love the Lord to love the Lord their God. And you shall teach, it says. The next phrase is you shall teach. Parents are teaching all the time, whether they know it or not. It's, it says you must. It's not, a, excuse me, I, I skipped over here. It says parents are teaching all the time, whether they realize it or not. If kids are around you, you're teaching them. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. That's why I talk to you about authenticity. You know, our kids can see it. Our kids, that's what, that's what really embitters some of our children, is because we're acting one way around, around them and another way around other people. And what we have to do is be authentic. We have to teach them about our relationship. And what I say there is, I'm not, put, not trying to put any guilt trip, what I say is, is as I've parented our child, children, and both Alice and I, countless times I've gone to them and asked for forgiveness. Countless times. Honestly. I've, I've approached them and said, you know, the way I disciplined you, Ben, I'm sorry. I was totally wrong. What you did was wrong. But what I, how I responded was not the way God wanted me to respond. Will you forgive me? And you know, what, you know what our children will do when we do that? They'll see God in you. They'll break down, their hearts will melt, they'll throw their arms around you, and uh, they'll restore the relationship. 
They won't be embittered. They won't go to their room saying, yeah, he says this, but he does this. God wants us to be real around our, parents, our kids, authentic. And then number two, the, second, thing, the uh, second to the last thing is adapting your parenting style. And the principle here is moving from boundaries, like don't hit, to principles, treat others as you should be treated. And as I think about this stage of my life, this is where I think Alice and I are mostly in right now. When I look at the boundaries, um, and I look at the parenting uh, styles, I should say not the boundaries, but the parenting styles, I think of uh, how we were as parents when we were uh, having our infants, and uh, all the way up to five years old, our preschool. I mean, they took so much of our time. I mean, your house, how many of you have preschoolers here? Raise your hands. Well, let's pray for you right now. Lord, (laughs) it's hard. And moms, I don't know, your days are long. And dads, you're working hard. And uh, all I can say is it gets harder. (laughs) Not true. But it is hard with preschoolers. And there's a certain way that you have to. I mean, they are all about themselves, are they not? I mean, the world centers around them. And, uh, you know, and one of the, I guess one of the jobs we have is to help them understand that there's other people in this world. And uh, then, then they go from kindergarten through fourth grade, and that's our grade school. And that seems to be an active time. That seems to be a sort of a neat time in life. At least Alice and I experienced that. Because we got other couples together. And, and there was some times when there weren't preschoolers around that we were literally able to talk to some other people, <laughs> you know, and have some adult discussion. It was pretty cool in that regard. And we had a great time. It was a, th- it was a sense of wonder from birth all the way up to fourth grade for us. The wonder of a child. Oh, it's tomorrow's a birthday party and the excitement for that. Oh, we're going to go to the store tomorrow. And then you can get them excited, you know, and all this. There's a sense of wonder for young kids. And it's, it's, it's magical and it's special. And I, when you're in it, you might miss it because you're so, you're so tired and, you're, and it's hard for you to keep going. But I can tell you that uh, when Alice and I are around our grandchildren, I love it because we can say anything uh, and, and the kids get excited by going to the park and, you know, going to the store and we're going to go play and we get to go take a nap and, you know, and all this and stuff. So then it comes to fifth through eighth grade. And those are rocky years. Those are, those are, uh, some people call those pre-people. And, uh, you know, it's a tough time. Anybody have fifth through eighth graders here? Okay, we definitely will be praying for you guys. And uh, you know what they need? They need stableness. They need a, they need a parent. They don't need a, a friend. They need a parent. And uh, our fifth through eighth graders need, need to know because, uh, you know, they'll, they'll use their relationship with you to, to barter. You know, I, I hate you or I don't like you or, you know, you're, you always, you know, they need a parent in their lives. They need someone who's stable. And they also need, they also need the church. Let me tell you a quick story about my own sons. You know, as I look back on it, Alice and I, I feel like, we did a decent job raising our kids uh, through the power of the Spirit. But I'll tell you, one of the things that was the strongest thing for us is a church like this. Honestly, a church like this where people in the youth ministry and the children's ministries, as you're sitting here, there's godly individuals that are reinforcing what you're trying to share at home. And they're building a relationship. Let me tell you about one of them. There's this guy named Oscar. He was a junior high pastor at the church that Alice and I were at. And 
And we, Jeremy was entering into this fifth through eighth grade. And man, I was the biggest jerk in Jeremy's life. He thought I was a jerk and all this. You know, I had no relationship. I could look at him and he would just scour at me. And uh, his youth pastor used to come over and all he'd do is shoot baskets with Jeremy all day long. Just go over and shoot baskets. And then he starts getting Jeremy, helping Jeremy, you know, get in the word, what has God been teaching you? How's it going with your parents? You know, you know what, what does it mean? You know, why do you think your dad's doing this and, and all this? And you know what happened? God was helping by providing Oscar in Jeremy's life to help Jeremy become a Christ follower. He was partnering with Alice and I. And that's what this church is all about. That's what we do here. We want to partner, not take the responsibility, but partner. Because being a parent is hard. And then we go to ninth to 12th grade. And that's, that's where um, kids tend to, I really think it's starting in uh, about 10th grade all the way up to about 25 years old, um, at least for our kids, that almost they, don't, they think they don't need you as parents. You know, that they also know more than you. Even when they get to 24, 25 years old, you, you can hardly have any input in their life. You know, but it's hard. And you ha- your parenting style has to adapt in every phase uh, that your children go through. We tend to, by the way, we tend to parent the way we get parented. We tend to discipline the way we were disciplined. That's why we sometimes we're on different pages, you know, because you come from different families as a husband and wife, and some, some of your parents discipline you harshly. Other parents are real passive. You know, you're, you're on different pages and all this. And what we have to do is recognize that your, child, your children are individuals, unique individuals. And you've got to recognize that one form of discipline with one of your children, most of you do know this if you have multiple children. You know, I have one kid, Tim. I could look at him and just, uh, just in a stern look, and his spirit would just melt, you know, because he was hypersensitive. And I have another kid that I, would, I could jump up and down on a stage and hit him with a bat, and he wouldn't even know what was going on, you know, because uh, he was dull, you know, but... Uh, then they go through college, and then we're dealing with kids that are um, not only in college, but young adults and, uh, you know, and married now with kids. And Alice and I, I'll be honest with you, as parents, one of the things my son said to me, uh, I won't read it, but one of the things they wrote is he, uh, they said, Dad, it's been really cool. Uh, one of the things that has helped us is as, as we got married, as we've left your home, that you haven't stopped being an, a parent to us. You just changed. You're a person that we can come to and ask for advice. Not that we have to take it. But we, can, we know that you have our interest at heart. It's a different form. Our styles had to change. And the last thing is, I want to share with you, the number five, uh, one area is investment in your child or invest in your children. You know, kids are expensive today. Can I get an amen from that? Do you know that uh, it costs $249,180 to raise a child from birth to 17 years? Now, that is not including the cost of birth. It's not including college uh, or them staying beyond 17 years of age. Most kids do in their homes. But think of that. A quarter of a million dollars per child. Now, if you knew that, would you have had them before you bought them? <laughs> Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Our kids are a major investment, so we need to invest wisely. And so we need to have an eternal 
perspective. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. We must teach our children how to have a relationship with God. I've been in Psalm 78. In verse 7 it says, Then they will put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. What is the goal of Christian parenting? What will, it make, uh, what will make you say that I've been successful when you get to the end? And here's why I wrote this down, and I, want, I, I think it says what I really feel. From God's word, we find that the primary goal of child rearing is that our children will come to know God, and by knowing him will produce godly character so that God will be glorified. Did you hear in this verse? It says, then they will put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. This perspective transforms the task of child rearing. Our goal is no longer merely to resolve, like what I said before, family conflicts and find a little peace. Now we're participating in God's great plan, uh, program of the ages. We are shaping lives for eternity. We are helping to form each child's character so that he or she can reflect God's glory. And I said we had a partnership with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you one experience that I had where I discovered that it really was a partnership. <clears throat> Alice and I had been raising four boys, and it was very, very challenging to have four. Expensive, too. And uh, many times we'd blow it. Holy Spirit was participating, but yet I didn't know. I didn't know if it was going to be successful. I was praying that they would come to know God, but I didn't know if they really had a relationship with God or if it was my relationship because they're in my family. And it was my expectation that they would read God's word and have a relationship. It was my expectation that they would go to church. But I didn't know if it was personal. And then our boys were part of this youth group, maybe similar to like this and they were, they were going on mission trips, and they were having quiet times every day and all this. And I, I, I was noticing this in their lives. And, you know, one day, um, it happened in Knoxville. We had a two-story home, and uh, I didn't hear anything upstairs. It was a two-story home, and you'd hear thumping a lot of times, and it was quiet up there. Well, you know if you're a parent and things are quiet, that's probably not a good sign. What's going on? So I go upstairs. And I walk, and uh, I didn't knock. I just opened the door into Ben's room. And uh, I can rarely ever say this without crying because it was so meaningful to me. Because I opened the door, and right there, he was kneeling on the ground with his Bible open, with tears coming down his eyes. And I felt like there was holiness in that room. I shut the door and I said, God, he has a vital relationship with you. My job's not done as a parent, but God, I see you working in his life. I see evidence of you. And I can tell you as a, as a dad, I've seen that in every one of my children. That's why I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is our partner. We've got to rely upon him. It's an awesome thing to see your kids develop a relationship with him. There's this author that said, his name is um, R.W. Dell. He wrote that fathers should care more for the loyalty of their children to Christ than for anything besides. More than this, than their health, 
their intellectual vigor and brilliance, their material prosperity, their social position, their exemption from great sorrow and great misfortune. In other words, your first goal as a father, a parent, is not that your children win awards and gain recognition. Your goal is not that they make lots of money to make you comfortable or that you have a good reputation and make you look good. Your one and only goal for your children is that they love the Lord their God with all their hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for our time. Lord, I thank you for these couples that are here today and these people that are here right now. I pray that some way and somehow what I've shared from your word tonight, that your spirit will use it in their lives to help them. Lord, to give them the strength they need in parenting their children. God, speak to them. Help their kids to be children that are growing up to glorifying you and to love you with all their hearts. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Yes.